Hey everybody, producer Michal here. Before we get on to today's episode, I want to make a few announcements. So first of all, I think I owe an explanation to everybody over the about the podcast for the last few weeks. Basically, I got a mazel tov. A few weeks ago, I got engaged. However, it has made producing episodes a little more complicated and finding the time for it a little more difficult. So that's why we haven't had regular episodes over the last few weeks. However, we've still been recording. So there actually are a number of episodes, including the Hanukkah episode you're about to listen to, even though it's a little late. You know, the Torah is timeless, and I think Rabbi Lefsky's teachings are too. So whenever you listen to this, I hope you find it useful and meaningful. Also, over the next few weeks, a number of episodes that we recorded throughout Cheshvan will also be airing. Those I'll be a little... They won't be timely, but I think most of them weren't dealing with Cheshvan itself, specifically. So, that'll be the next few weeks. Finally, don't worry, the podcast isn't going anywhere. Our schedule is just going to be a little crazy over the next few months. I'll get everything sorted out, but God willing, we'll be back, and better than ever. The show isn't going anywhere. Enjoy this episode, and yeah... Thanks for being with us on this amazing journey. And now, on to the good rabbi. Hi, this is David Olavsky, and welcome to the Rabbi Olavsky Show. Thank you. And whether you're watching with our friends over at Torah Anytime, or wherever you watch or listen to your podcast, it's always a pleasure to have you along for the experience. So uh, I have to start mixing up that introduction a little bit. So um, let's try this. Happy Hanukkah! From the Rabbi Olavsky Show. I just brought myself a dreidel car. Think I'll take it out for a spin. Okay. I had a little dreidel. I made it out of clay. And when it's dry. Okay, anyway. So, uh, it's so nice to have you along for this special Hanukkah edition of the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Hey, kids. <laughs> I know you're watching because I got this email. Hi, my name is Israel Klein, and I'm using my mother's email to write to you. I am now almost 12. That means he's 11. Yeah, I'm almost 70. Uh, but I have been waiting... T- <laughs> <laughs> but I've been wanting to write to you since I was nine, younger than the 11-year-old girl you mentioned and your youngest listener. Now, to be fair, every now and then people send me pictures of like the, a little kid in like a, in like a car seat sitting at the table watching. <laughs> I don't think they can use their uh, mother's email. I really enjoy listening to your podcast when I go to sleep at night. Who would have guessed that the Rabbi Olavsky podcast helps people sleep. Yeah, I turn on the Rabbi Olavsky show. It relaxes me and puts me to sleep in the best mood. My favorite episodes are the Soul of Acapella. That's the one I did with Ari Goldwag. The Lone Arranger. That's the one I did with Lenny Solomon. 50 Color War. I guess it's number 50. The Art of Chulent. That was a great one. Waterbury Returns and the live show with Shimon Kolyakov, our friend over at Torah Anytime. 
Seminaries are too expensive. I wonder what a nine-year-old boy is thinking about the price of seminary for. And the entire seminary series, I can repeat them verbatim. I have to say, Yisrael, I'm starting to worry about you. Please give me a shout-out in a future episode, a devoted follower. Well, Yisrael, I would like to, but we don't do shout-outs anymore. Anyway, (laughs) this episode... (laughs) <laughs> this episode is sponsored anonymously. It's a schutz for Rabbi Olavsky and the entire Mishpacha. Thank you so much for all that you do for Klai Yisrael. Thank you. Uh, the uh, people who sponsor the episode make this episode possible. Uh, I mean, there are at least 10,000 people. The numbers keep growing, and I have trouble tracking them all because we're on so many different platforms. And um, uh, But... When you sponsor an episode, it makes it possible for us to be able to reach more people. And so, thank you. He has to specifically to sponsor the Hanukkah episode. So, all I can say is, thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> all right. Well, this is the Hanukkah uh, episode. And so, um, it's very important when a yuntif comes around, when any moed comes around, I say a yuntif, but I mean any moed, one of the most watched uh, episodes uh, were some of the ones that I did on Tishabov, and uh, it's called a moed. Yeah, yeah. We have we have happy days and sad days, but they're all days that are um, of significance. Rabbi Shapiro pointed out once that the idea of moed is a, a point, an appointment. That's why you sometimes see the Ohel Moed is translated as the tent of appointment. Moed is, this is the destination. And he points out that all of the Sidre um, Mishnayis are Belush and Rabim, Zrayim, uh, Taras, Kodshim, right? Except for Moed, because all of time has one destination that we're going to. So when one of these times comes along, it's important to check where we are and what we're doing. So uh, I want to share with you an insight that I heard from Rabbi Shapiro once that made a deep impression on me. And I was relatively new to his shiurim at the time. And I remember I said to Rabbi Yosef Brown, who had gone for over 20 years to his shiurim, and I said, you know, I... Sometimes I have no idea what he's talking about. I just don't understand. He says it takes a year just to learn his terminology, just to just to to understand the the language that he's using, and uh, and that's why if you're not familiar with some of the underlying concepts, yeah. I remember there was uh, one week he explained how um, uh, Aaron was Teferis. The next week he explained how Avraham was Teferis. The next week he explained how Yosef was Teferis. And I said to him, I said, look, uh, I'm not that sphere savvy, but how could everybody be Teferis? I thought, I thought Yaakov was Teferis. That's the only one he hasn't mentioned. He looked at me with a certain sense of pity and he said, uh, David, you know this from Sfira Sa'imer. The first week is Chesed, and then there's Chesed Shebe Chesed, and Chesed Shebe Gevura, Chesed Shebe Tiferes, Chesed Shebe Netzach, Hetzach Shebe Hod, Hetzach Shebe Sod, Chesed Shebe Malchus. So he's explaining the Tiferes 
aspect of chesed, the teferis aspect of netzach. So, okay. Now, sometimes he'll come in and he'll start with some arizal or some gra that starts in outer space and Ramayusha takes off from there. So, I'm, I just nod at what I think are the appropriate times and I write notes like, what is he talking about? <laughs> I know what's going on. I struggle. I struggle to try to understand what he's talking about. But every now and then he takes a Rashi or a Chazal that I've seen many times. And he shows the genius in it that I never noticed. And then I feel like it's a level playing field. At least I know what he's talking about, where he's coming from. And that to me is a wow. And, um, you know, when you see and you hear things that are so outside of your frame of reference, you can't really relate to it. But when you see ordinary things, it's it's mind-blowing. Yeah. I may have told this story once, but uh, it was one Purim. Somebody asked him, how did you become Rabbi Shapiro? No, it was Purim, so you could you have a little more leeway because you never know how he's going to react if he thinks a, a question is inappropriate. Yeah. Um. One time a friend of mine did something on Purim, and uh, it was pretty funny, but Ramesha looked at him and says, <laughs> You know, it's called the line. You know what's going over the line? <laughs> so uh, it's interesting. He says, how do you become Ramesha Shapiro? So I'll tell you. He says, I was learning in Panovich, and I was a kid when he was there. And uh, um, there was a blackout. So, can't learn. No lights. So I went outside with my friends, you know, uh, we'll play. So I, he was old enough where you could play outside. I don't know what that means, you know, at that point, you know. So uh, he says, we hear somebody is still in the base medrash. And I look in, and it's from Desla. And he's saying over a chazal to himself, after 10 times, we started to wonder. After 20 times, we started to giggle. After 30 times, I started to get scared. And after 40 times, I saw tears coming down my face. And at that moment, I realized the depth in a chazal, if you take the time to look for it. And that's more or less what he based his Torah on and all of his teachings, was to look at that Chazal to be able to see the depth that's inside of it that other people may have missed. So, uh, the Gemara in Yuma tells the following story. Alexander the Great, who comes to conquer Israel and is the most immediate cause of the Hanukkah story. Because Alexander the Great was a Talmud of uh, Aristotle, and so he was not only coming to conquer, like every conqueror who went before him, he was coming with a philosophical mission, not a religious mission. Right? When the Muslims wanted to spread their faith through fire and sword, that was the spread of faith. They were coming to enlighten the world. I still remember in my fourth grade history book, where it was a chapter called The Light of Greek Civilization. How ironic that we call them Choshech and everyone else calls them light. 
So he was coming to bring the light to the entire world. And for most of the world, it was definitely a step up. If you're into like, you know, Vodazara and uh, black magic and stuff like that, and the Greeks come and they bring you literature and philosophy and science and sports and theater and and stadiums and gymnasiums and universities. This was such a step up for the world. Everybody ditched whatever philosophy they had and they were happy to become Hellenists. Right? One of the... Uh, Major cities of uh, Greek thought was Alexandria of Egypt. Is Egypt, the Egyptian uh, culture and society went way back and they ditched it for the Greeks. So they were coming for a message. Now you can't beat the Greeks, right? They were too powerful. I'm sure I've mentioned this. There is a book by Sir Edward Creasy called The 15 Decisive Battles of World History. And in it, he describes how in the battle where Alexander defeated uh, Darius of Persia, it says Alexander's entire army wasn't as big as Darius's right wing. That's how powerful he was. And it just decimated them, decimated every army. It was, it was, it was such a fighting force like the world had never seen. Um, so comes to Israel. Well, we're going to fight this guy. Nobody stood up against him. So instead, the Gemara Yuma tells us that Shimon Tzaddik, who was the Kohen Gadol at the time, puts on the Big Day Kahuna, which is usually not allowed to be used outside of the base of Mikdash. He saw this was an essential moment. And he came to see Alexander, and Alexander gets off of his horse and bows down. And Shimon says, it doesn't work that way, I'm surrendering to you. He says, I know, but whenever I would go and fight a battle, somebody dressed in these clothes would appear to me and tell me what to do. I believe my victories have come from the Jewish God. He says, well, then rise. Happy to have you on board. He says, look, I'm going to capture you guys. I'm going to take over your country because that's what I do. Otherwise, they wouldn't call me a conqueror, right? They would call me a uh, consultor, and I'm not. So uh, I'm going to capture your country, but I'm not going to force you guys to become Hellenists. I will introduce Greek culture. The Gemara goes on to discuss various interactions between Alexander the Great and the Chachamim, where he posed certain questions and they gave certain answers. What was happening here? So Mashashpur explained that this confrontation was of historic nature. Because as it says in Pirkei Abos, after the Anche Knesset, the Gedola, the men of the Great Assembly, um, Shimon Hatzadik was the last one. Now, the Anche Knesset Gedola was a 120-person body made up of Chachamim and Nevi'im. There were Nevi'im who belonged there. That gave them a leg up on everybody else. And as long as there's Navua, you understand. And I can tell you, Hashem said this, Hashem said that, Hashem said this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and it comes true. 
there's really not much to discuss in the way of, uh, you know, is it true? Is it not true? You, you got a prophet there. Yeah. You have a, you have an actual Navi. When the Anjikadasa the Gedola ended, that was in essence the end of Nevoah. One of the tragedies that took place during the three days of darkness that were combined into a Sarabateves, which is why it's such a terrible day. It's a, it's a collection of tragedies was the last Navi died. And that was the end. That was the end of Nevoah. So Shimon Tzaddik is the last one left. Last man standing. And suddenly Alexander the Great comes and he has to confront him. And he goes out to confront him. Why? Because he is the last of the Anshinesa Gedola. He represents the transition from a period of Nevi'im to a period of Chachamim. As I mentioned, when there were Nevi'im, you really couldn't argue. Is there a God, Judaism? You, you can prove it. Now there were only Chachamim. And we have to fight an enemy who wants to fight us on an intellectual level. We never had an enemy like that. We went into Golas for 70 years between Bavel, Paras, and Madai because of three Averas, Avodazara, Shvichas, Dama, and Gilearayas. And each one of those kingdoms represented the epitome of that Avera. And it took us 70 years to get sick of it. A confrontation is always there for us to be able to face it and understand what we're supposed to see for ourselves. So now we have to fight an intellectual enemy. We never had to do that before. So until that point, we could say, how do you know this is true? Hashem said so. Now they start asking us questions. Suddenly we're confronting an enemy who's attacking us intellectually. And they're saying, who says you're right? Why do I have to follow what you are saying? Maybe you're wrong. And they start to ask us questions. Why does it say this? Why does it say that? Why does it say this? I don't know. Hashem said so. That's good enough for me. But now you're forcing me to have to answer the question, how do I know? The way Rabbi Maisha put it was, it gave us the ability of Adarabba. From your question, I realized the depth of Torah even more than I did beforehand. I didn't even realize how brilliant this was. But now that you're asking me this question, now I have to look into the Torah and find proofs for things that I already know. I never got that whole thing in geometry. I never understood it. You know? Prove that this theorem is true. Prove that that theorem is true. What was the point? Especially the identity postulate. Line AD is equal to line AD. Yes, If you leave that out, you'll lose points. You know? Prove it. Prove that this is true. Prove that it's true. For what? What's, what's the point? They're all based on axiomatic rules which you can't ask anything about. So, uh, if if that's the case, just call these axioms too. No, these are theorems coming out of the... Okay. But we knew Judy was true because we knew Judy was true. 
People mistake the concept of Amunah Pshuta. We think Amunah Pshuta means believing something without any intellectual basis. That's not Amunah Pshuta. I think um, I heard Mati Berger explain it best when he said once, do you know that you exist? So the guy says, yeah. He says, can you prove it? Okay, enough people went to school and learned this proof, Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. He says, okay. But if you need that to get out of bed in the morning, you got a problem. You wake up in the morning and say, oh, got to get up. Wait a second. Maybe I don't exist. Ah, Taka, I think, therefore, I am. Oh, okay, That's it. Then there's something wrong with your hold on reality if you need that proof in order to be able to get out of bed. That's the problem. Yeah? So, um, uh, when you talk about Amunah Pshuta, it means I know HaKadosh Baruch Hu exists the same way I know that I'm alive. The same way I know my own existence. But can you prove it? Okay. Let's come up with proofs. Let's come out of ways to be able to show that what we already know to be true is true. Yeah? That's what the Greek confrontation came for us to do. And that's why it had to be Shimon Tzadik, besides the fact that he was the Kohen Gadol, because he was Mishiyore Anjing Nezagadola. He was the last. He was the transition. He's the first fully-fledged Chacham without any Navua behind him who has to now battle the Greeks without that benefit, only on the basis of intellectual understanding. And we held our own quite well and flourished. As in the famous Gemara in Bechoros, where the king forced Yeshua to debate the wise men of Athens. And uh, he just took them apart. Took them apart. Because if you ever studied Greek philosophy... Socrates, Plato, yeah. A lot of it is what they call uh, straw man arguments, yeah. In fact, uh, the idea of a Socratic dialogue means that there's somebody there whose only job is to ask you the questions that you want and then at the end to say, oh, yes, oh, Socrates, how wise, oh, Socrates, how, uh, how true, oh, Socrates, yeah. The Ramchal has another version of Masil Susharim that's called the Vikuach edition. Vikuach um, usually means like a debate, but it's not really a debate. It's a conversation between a Chochem and a Chosid. And obviously he wants the Chosid to be able to bring across his ideas. And the Chochem is just there uh, to ask the right questions and afterwards say, oh, how wise, oh, how right you are. So it's not really a vikuach, it's a Socratic dialogue. The Chacham don't play those kind of games. They fight. They argue. At the end, we're not ashamed to say, Tiyufta! Tiyufta, the Rabbi Yechelen, Tiyufta! One Tiyufta wasn't enough, we do too. You are wrong. Say it again. Wrong. Completely wrong. Battle to the end. Fight for the truth. No Marcus of Queensbury rules. Um, we're arguing. I'm saying that they, 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 they will fight for the truth to, will arrive, to arrive at the MS. And that was the challenge of the Greeks that we needed to stand up to. Today, 
as the Mishnah and Sota describes before Mashiach comes. We are uh, in the battle for the survival of the Jewish people spiritually. Because everything is breaking down. Children don't listen to their parents. The young don't listen to the so the elders, you know, everything is falling apart. We're being attacked, and it says, Torah will be attacked, Tamadei Chachamim will be attacked. And we are, constantly, on all sides. And uh, we need to be able to have the tools to fight back. And that was what Hanukkah did for us. You have to know what to answer. And the ability to argue and to fight, that was the power of Shimon Sadik in his confrontation with Alexander the Great, where they attacked us in order to give us the ability to develop the weapons necessary to fight this final battle at the end of time. And uh, when we have had the opportunity to fight on a level playing field, as the king who made a debate between Christianity and Judaism, and he let the Ramban have free reign against this uh, Pablo Christiani, and he so clearly wiped the floor with him, the king said, I never heard anyone wrong defend his position so well. So those are the skills. Chanukah, we say, We thank Hashem for the wars because these wars that we got gave us the tools and abilities to be able to go and fight the bigger fight. And that's why during World War II, there were members of the Yishuv who fought for the British and in that process learned the military skills necessary to be able to develop the IDF, to be able to eventually fight off the seven Arab countries that attacked us. So Hanukkah is the cure before the illness, the tools being given to us to fight the intellectual battles at the end of time. Mirz Hashem, we should see Yeshua's yeah, to the Milchomas in our days, today as we did then. And now we come to the question and answer portion of the program. Namaz asks, besides low and cream puffs, do you have a favorite pastry? Ah, oh, that's a tough question. It's a tough question. It's like saying, besides God, is there another God that you worship? Now, obviously, it's not the same thing, of course, but I'm just saying, besides your nuclear arsenal, do you have any other weapons you prefer if you have to destroy an entire country? <laughs> yeah, BB gun. But uh, they were so far beyond anything I could possibly imagine. But uh, when I was a kid, I forgot who made them, but there were these devil food cake cookies, like a little devil food cake, and it had a filling and they were covered with chocolate on the outside. I don't remember who made them. I've never seen them since. And they were just 
out of this world, which is really amazing. But they're not around either. So, uh, so what do I get by with? Gosh, somehow I must be eating something. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Hard to maintain this blood sugar level without enough cake and cookies. Um, uh, I like a really good cheese Danish, but I can't find one here in Israel. Um, uh, in America, when you have a cheese Danish, which has got a lot of cheese inside of it, you know, and, you know, not like just filled with crust, you know, the crust is just a hechatimse to hold it, you know, oh, that's very good. Um, and, uh, uh, There's, uh, I, I am fond on occasion of getting the Oreo mega stuff. It's like just mostly filling with a couple of little cookies on it. <laughs> um, and an apple turnover, a good apple turnover. But again, you have to be able to find them. It's not as easy to find. So, uh, I hope that was, uh, a meaningful answer. <laughs> Because <laughs> informed listeners want to know. <laughs> anonymous asks. It's like Anonymous asked all the questions this week. Uh, what's the Torah perspective on genetic testing? Uh, someone who got married before this was easily available and now has uh, medical problems in his family. How could you tell him you weren't supposed to marry this person after building a beautiful family. Um, it's a very interesting question. There are certain genetics that are matsui. This is how Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky explained it to me once. It's common. So, Tay-Sachs, which is common among Ashkenazic Jews, and the odds are one in four that your kids are going to get it. So that's very serious. That's very serious. And we can test for it and we can uh, prevent it. There are other genetic things. And let's face it, there are so many possible genetic things. You could test for everything, but it doesn't mean anything. And that's why Do Yisharim, because we did Do Yisharim, and we have to, right? So Do Yisharim uh, is designed to be anonymous. They just tell you um, it's not a shidduch. Right? The two of you should get married. You don't know who the carrier is. Could be one, could be the other one, could be both. You don't know. Because they don't want to stigmatize people. And that's why there was a big question because in the uh, Jewish, one of the Jewish, more Jewish diseases, not exclusively, is breast cancer. And they found a way to be able to test for it and uh, and the post were not in favor of it because the fact that you have the genetic predisposition doesn't mean you're going to get it. And all you do is stigmatize people who are already stigmatized for a million other reasons just uh, shortly after you were born. Already you have pagam on you from 19 different ways, you know, until you find the perfect shidduch, you know. So... There's a danger to doing this. So that's how uh, when I, I spoke to Chaim Kanievsky once. He said to me, if it's matzoi, if it's common, then you have to take it into account. If it's not matzoi, and it's not like uh, like Tay-Sachs, where you know the odds are one out of four are going to get it. 
When my father, were, we were waiting online to see the square rabbi. Um, it was uh, uh, a lot of people waiting to come and see him. My father didn't want to do chemotherapy anymore. It was too painful for him. And he heard about a virus treatment in Hungary. He wanted to do that instead, you know. And we were waiting online to ask the square rabbi. And, um, and I remember at one point, this father came in with his son, who was in the middle of a shidduch. And they did not apparently do the Dor Yishorim beforehand. And they did it afterwards. And it turns out that they're both positive. I couldn't hear the whole conversation, obviously, but it was loud enough that I could pick up pieces of it. And the Rebbe said, what do you want from me? What do you want me to tell you? If Dori Shem tells you that this is not a shidduch, that means that you get married, there's a case, one in four, that uh, your kid's going to have Tay-Sachs. And evidently this kid was really into the shidduch. So he said, can't the Rebbe give a bracha that everything's going to be okay? And he said, no, I can't give a bracha that everything's going to be okay. And I'm not going to. So, there's a certain amount of bitachin you just have to have when you go into a shidduch. Because, like I say, there are genetic things that you don't know about. I had a neighbor and my best friend who died from lung cancer. They never smoked a cigarette in their life. Very rare situation. I know three people in Harnov who got these really weird kind of conditions. One in a gazillion people get this. There's no research even doing for most of them. It's such a rare condition. There's no guarantees. But where it's Matsoi, where you can check into it, you check into it. You're, that, that much you're obligated to do. But, uh, you know, if you don't know, and something happens, so okay. Then you have to just say, Kosh Baruch put me in this situation. Now I'm going to ask, what are your thoughts about the current nuclear threats coming from Russia? I, I, I'm I, not in favor of nuclear threats. I, want to, I don't care who I offend. I'm going on record with that. Do you think we are going to uh, experience nuclear destruction? No. No, I don't think we will. Um, Putin is losing power and uh, I don't think he wants to start a nuclear war. He There's enough mutual self-destruction involved that he has to be prepared to take down all of Russia and I don't think he's that crazy. Yeah, um, I don't think it's going to happen. And uh, he knows that if he introduces it, he's crossed a line that nobody has crossed. And uh, um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, could I be wrong? Well, we won't be around to find out, will we? So, so we will all go together when we go, all suffused with an incandescent glow. No one will have the endurance to collect on their insurance. Lloyds of London will be loaded when they go. Tom Lehrer, professor of mathematics at Harvard University, best known for writing funny songs, wrote a whole song about this. Yeah. But how, in the end, you won't have to worry because everyone's going to go at the same time, you know. 
So, uh, yeah, but I'm not worried. Of, of the things that worry me, I'm much more worried about Iran getting a nuclear bomb because uh, they'll use it on us. Or as he said in a different song about nuclear proliferation, where he was talking about different people getting the bomb. Egypt's gonna get one too, just to use on you. No, who so? Israel's getting tense, wants one in self-defense. The Lord's our shepherd says the psalm, but just in case, we better get a bomb. <laughs> but again, you know, I'm more worried about Iran, but I have confidence that Kodesh Baruch will save us from that as he has saved us from all the other maniacs in history. Anonymous asks, why do we sell Elias in Shul? Uh, is it considered good midos to get a kibud if it's showing off that one can put up more money than someone else? Yeah, it's called staka. And that's a good thing. And it's brought down in halacha that you're allowed to do this uh, on, on Shabbos. It does two things. First of all, it shows people how choshev it is to do a mitzvah. So I'm getting an aliyah. And the second thing is, the money goes to tzedakah. A few times I've been at Shabbatonim, uh, run by Sfardim. And it's an amazing thing. They all buy the aliyahs for a lot of money to give it to somebody else as a kibbutz. They don't take it for themselves. Wow. So, uh, best of both worlds, huh? Anyway. Um, Anonymous asks, what is the definition of hatred in Losisna as a chicha bilvavecha? If I dislike someone, when does one start to have an avera under this love? When it takes effect. Now, you're ideally not supposed to hate anybody. You're supposed to love people. You're not supposed to have sinna in your heart for anybody. That's, uh, that's the ideal. You have to, you, you have to know if, uh, if you do, you gotta be real, gotta work on it. The, the, where it turns more serious is where it goes into the kima and the tira and things like that. But ideally, I'm not supposed to have any hatred whatsoever. I'm supposed to remove that mida for me because I have a mitzvah to love all Jews. So how much uh how much dislike is called hatred? So um any hatred is a problem. Now when you say do I get an Avera, it's kind of a tricky thing because it's obviously a love shainbo misa, the Ainbo Dibor, and it doesn't have anything on it, right? Um in fact Rashi says one of the good things about the Shvatim is they were um they didn't like Yosef and they didn't pretend that they did. They weren't Echad Bepebe, Echad Belev. So it would have been better if they didn't hate him, but at least they, they didn't pretend that they were his buddy and uh, his friend. You know, They were honest about how they felt. So, yeah, one has to work to remove the sinner. And uh, I heard Rabbi Leff say once an interesting thing. Says, There's no such a thing as sinners chinam. Nobody you know, uh, uh, like opens up the phone book and picks out a name and says, I think I'll hate him today. You understand? There's always a reason. It's just not a good enough reason to hate a Jew. And so you have to work on yourself to love every Jew. And so therefore, 
any hatred is something that I need to work out. So um, we have control of our emotions. And the way that one removes that hatred is one of two ways. Uh, one is work on looking at all the good things uh, about this person and try to focus on the good, because everybody has good and bad. And the second thing is do something nice for this person. When you do something nice, Mimela, it changes your perception of the person. Ahava is from the word have to give. When you give to somebody else, it changes your perspective of the person. So uh, we should not have even a smidgen of hatred inside of our heart for another Jew. And uh, I know there are people who are over this Avera, and I hate those people. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. That's also a Tom Lerner line, as it happens. My gosh, he made it in three times this podcast. He says, I realize there are people who do not love their fellow human beings, and I hate people like that. <laughs> and before we conclude, I just want to give a shout-out to Anonymous, who came from America, to be in the studio audience, and remembers that I said in an earlier podcast, yeah, toilet paper packages wrapped up in string is not one of my favorite things, but... Folgers Coffee is, and, and uh, Chinese noodles, hamburger rolls, and so poor struggling rabbis in Israel. Make it by, by the love and caring of those of you in America who think of me. <laughs> I one time did a whole complaint about how there's no prune hamantashen in, uh, uh, in Israel, and I got an entire box, like a large box of Reisman's prune hamantash, and it was very meaningful, and I'm happy to repeat that experience. I guess I'm going to add that to the question about my pastries. I really like prune hamantash, and I don't know if that's something when we went to America once before Purim, and every place we went, I tried the prune hamantash to find the best one, so. Anyway, so uh, so that's it for this week. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. If you want to find out more about the show, you can go to my podcast, rabbiolaski.com. You can send me an email. You can, uh, um, you can leave a message. You can join one of the online shiurim. Um, people keep joining the Tefillah series. We're just about to start doing, uh, Alanisim. Uh, we're a lot of good things going on. A lot of good things. And, um, get to be part of the experience. So that's it for now. And, uh, Hanukkah Sameach to everybody. Actually, we there's no mitzvah Sameach on Hanukkah. It's all, that's why they say Lichtengen Hanukkah. Lichtengen Hanukkah, everybody. And that's it for now. I'm David Olavsky, and this has been the Rabbi Olavsky Show. It's the Rabbi Olavsky Show. Torah and Simcha, ready to go. It's the Rabbi Olavsky Show. Knowledge and wisdom will help you grow. Lots of fun in every episode, and we don't have to rhyme. No, we don't. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show on RabbiOrlovsky.com. Torah, anytime, YouTube, and more. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Torah and Simba, ready to go. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. Till next time, till we meet again. 
Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show. It's the Rabbi Orlovsky Show.